0: I thought I to the
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another issue of Cain and Rince. In this issue, issue 438, we will be covering Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue is Jay Taylor. Hello. Carl Moon. Hey everyone. And Thomas Quilfelt. Malacca. There we go. Um, Before we dive into um, the uh, game at hand, um, I just want to make a quick statement, Um, and I'm sure this statement has been made on previous issues of Cain and Rince, this volume, uh, where we've covered Ubisoft games, but we know our audience likes to pick and choose which games they want to listen in, so just I think it's worth reiterating. Um, We're well aware of the allegations made against the senior members of staff at Ubisoft and to be clear we stand with uh, victims of abuse. Um, We're gonna probably say some quite positive things about Assassin's Creed Odyssey throughout this issue, but our positive feelings towards this piece of art is not a tacit endorsement of the abusive practices that may have led to its creation. Uh, Just want to make that 100% crystal clear before we proceed. And now that's clear, let's talk about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So what is Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Um, It is the latest entry... In the globe and history trotting stealth action adventure series that brings the RPG elements of the open and the open level design of Origins to the ancient Greek setting, you take on the role of the eagle bearer, either Alexios or Cassandra, to uncover the evil machinations of the cult of the cosmos and uncover your divine origins. The publisher on this one is obviously Ubisoft. Um, the, there are so many development teams involved in this. Um, I think Ubisoft Quebec is kind of the main team on this, but um, you've also got um, Ubisoft Bucharest, Ubisoft Singapore, Ubisoft Shanghai, Ubisoft Chengdu, Ubisoft Kiev, Ubisoft Philippines, and Spirosoft. Obviously, there are hundreds and hundreds of people involved in the development of these games, um, but it's worth naming um, a few of the key staff. So we've got Jonathan DeMont and Scott Phillips as the directors of this title. On producing duties, we've got Mark Alexis uh, Kioti, lead designers Julian Godek and uh, Jordan Taboost. lead artists, we've got Thierry Dancero, Um, Writers on this, Jonathan DeMont again, Melissa McCubrey, Hugo Gyard, and on composing duties, we've got The Flight, otherwise known as Joe Henson and Alexis Smith. So, this was released on PC, PS4 and Xbox One on October of 2018. Um, The Japanese audience got a Switch version of this in 2018, um, I imagine it's not quite as shiny and pretty as uh, the, uh, the other console uh, variants, but uh, that's cool. I wish I had a Switch version of Odyssey. And then it came to Stadia in uh, November 2019. So yeah, let's talk about our histories uh, with this title. I would like to start with Jay Taylor.
2: Yeah, so I didn't pick this up at launch. I started playing this, uh, according to my trophies, I started playing this on the 5th of August. And I didn't play anything else, because I remember this, I didn't play another thing whilst I was playing this game, and I finished it about five weeks later, um, on the 18th of September. (laughs) 218 hours on the clock. (laughs) And completely, like, I mean, that's everything. That's including the DLC. Because even whilst I was playing the campaign, I I went into the DLC. I just bought the DLC on a, they had a season pass sale. And I thought, perfect. Because I was so engrossed. So, yeah, I, um, it's a fairly, I guess, uh, I I said a little over a year ago now since I I played through. Um, And I've recently just started a a new game plus on that. But I am not doing 100% playthrough on that one. So a little bit like Jay, really.
3: I didn't pick this up at launch. I picked it up about a year ago. Now, roughly, again, at the same time that I was playing Assassin's Creed Origins. Um, I have played all the other games, and I do generally play them more often than not a year after release, uh, mainly because the such a time sink to get 100% in them that like the idea of banging one out at launch is a little bit different. To It's a bit difficult compared to actually playing it kind of as and when. Um, particularly with the new style. And again, a lot like Jay, I was really, really enjoying Origins. A lot of the changes that they'd made um, to the, the standard gameplay um, was was working for me and I was looking forward to it. Big fan of Egyptian history, big fan of Greek mythology. Um, it made sense that I was going to go and lean into this. Um, Origins did take me a little bit longer to get through than I expected. So I didn't get around to Assassin's Creed Odyssey until um june this year is when i started it and i played it quite consistently over the period of a, a, a couple of months um not quite the 200 plus hours um that jay's got in on it but i think my save time at the moment is around the 85 hour mark Um still with quite a lot to do but main line um certainly finished in the main story
4: so i um in my history BA back in the early two thousands, I studied. Uh, I did a course on ancient Greece at one point. Um, so it's a historical period I really like. I'm uh, with the AC series. I really loved uh, Assassin's Creed Two, and I played all of them between two and three, uh, and then kind of burned out a bit, and and uh, for some reason stopped playing just before the you know Black Flag, the one that everyone loves. And uh, never picked up another one really until the hype in me built, and uh, in 2018, and I went day one with this. Um, it felt like going into that Christmas there were the, these two absolutely vast, hyper detailed historical games: Red Dead Redemption Two and AC Odyssey. And I just liked the sound of AC Odyssey as a kind of slightly breezier time or arcadey perhaps than the heavy controls of uh Red Dead. And yeah, the time period interested me a lot more. Uh so yeah, I picked it up day one, went to the supermarket to get it because my Amazon order mucked up. Uh but yeah just the 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 I couldn't wait to get back into an Assassin's Creed. This was the one that did it finally that kind of pulled me back in. Cool.
1: I think this is my first issue um on a Assassin's Creed game. So, um if if it isn't forgive me if I'm covering old ground everyone, but um my my I I really really love Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood. Um and it's just it's been a long while since Assassin's Creed really drew me in in the way that those two games did. Part of it is um Ezio the lead character I I just felt Ezio was really compelling um um in those those first two games in his trilogy wasn't a big fan of the third third game in that trilogy even though Ezio remained as charming as ever um and then I just just fell off I I I never really played Assassin's Creed 3 I played like the intro bit um but never followed through um I did play Assassin's Creed Black Flag and finish it, but uh, I didn't fall in love with it. I liked the naval stuff, I liked the the visuals, um, but there was a lot of like follow the guy. There was a ship stealth bit that I hated as well, and uh, yeah, it just it never quite crossed the line into something I was uh, super engaged with in the same way that I was with uh, Ezio's earlier games. Um, And then I just stopped playing them all all together. Like, I I didn't play Unity. I touched Syndicate like two years after it came out and then didn't bother finishing it. Um, It wasn't until Origins came out that I kind of got interested in the series again. Um, People were saying all the right things, like it's taking influence from Metal Gear Solid Five. it's taking influence from The Witcher 3. Um, It's got all these bits and pieces in there from other series that uh, other series that I love and is attempting to kind of take this series in a different direction. Um, I bought origins, I think at half price um, probably six or so months afterwards. And I enjoyed what I played, but it just didn't stick with me. Um, It's probably, it's still in my steam library and I, I plan to go back to it. Um, but for whatever reason i never finished i never finished origins um and then um you know the uh trailers for odyssey started to come out um and i saw all this stuff about the dialogue system being able to choose which lead character you have and all of that stuff and also it's ancient greece and i really like ancient greece like uh Ever since I was a kid when my dad made me watch um, Jason and the Argonauts at Christmas, um, and then as a teenager, and I still love the, like, warts and all, I still love these games. The early God of War games, the problematic Kratos God of War games, I still love them. Um, and, um, yeah, and I, I just find this setting really compelling. I ended up picking this up at 50% off much later down the line. And I completely rinsed it. Um, I uh, really really. will get into the reasons why, but I, it's fair to say I really enjoyed this in a way that I didn't enjoy uh, previous entries. Um, I am going to issue a spoiler warning for this. We will go into the story details from this point onwards. Okay, so scenario and setting. It's um, set in 431 BCE, ancient Greece, um, and it's during the Peloponnesian War between the city-states, mainly Sparta and Athens. Um, So... Uh, just as a starting point, you know, a, a lot of you in your history, uh, a few of you in your histories, I should say, um, mentioned ancient Greece as being like a really compelling setting. What do we just like? Because it's the first thing you, well, maybe not the first thing. It's one of them. It's one of the first things you see when you start up this game. Like, what is our what is our feeling about the depiction of ancient Greece? Like, Tom, do you want to start us off?
4: Well, the the. The thing about the the history course I did that um, surprised me was basically week one, they were like, yeah, we don't know much about ancient Greece <laughs> because there's just, you know, there's like a couple of, his- there's a vanishingly small amount of historical, you know, they weren't even historians in the way that we think of historians. So there's yeah. so much imagination space here for Ubisoft. And um, so when the, you know, the DLC and some of the main story stuff Seeks into fantasy and myth and all of that it doesn't feel out of place at all and i think that's that's really clever but on the other hand there's enough kind of real world you can still go to greece you can still go to athens and the greek islands and stuff and um get a feel and uh, like with the super bunny hop video where he's comparing um ancient greek sites in, in real life to Uh, the game there's there's plenty here to chew on and um and yeah even even top scholars of ancient greece i was listening to the the bbc4 show in our time which is like a super serious mainstream history show they're talking about pericles and right at the end one of the scholars uh uh mentioned assassin's creed odyssey so you know this it's a it's a game it's a series and and ubisoft's approach has, has really penetrated i think both the kind of mainstream um love of ancient greece ancient times ancient peoples and myth uh, and then it cuts both ways i think there's plenty of ancient greek scholars out there who if they're not playing the main game maybe they're dipping into this discovery mode and just you know loving the setting and the detail uh, and just the the yeah the imagination space
1: yeah i i i, I think for me like um just the the color I I was so used to Assassin's Creed being especially after Syndicate, I know Origins is not not this way, but like Syndicate and Unity there was this kind of muted color palette. Um everything was like slightly gray and and I know with Syndicate specifically that's partly because it's Victorian London and there has to be a degree of uh you know soot on everything. Um, but just to kind of drink in the kind of deep blues of the water and the green greens and everything, feeling much more bright and and joyous. And even at night, um, I mean, this this game benefits hugely from um, having I. I recently bought a 4k tv i'm like uh i'm relatively new to this realm of 4k um but the biggest thing that i love about it is having hdr proper hdr now um and the nighttime stuff with this when there are torches and the moon and all of that stuff it just looks really really gorgeous um i think it it's just a just a really really stellar job of rendering this world Um, I want to read out this post from uh, Blue Weasel Breath. Um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey helped me through the early days of the lockdown. The game was given away free a week or two right near the start of the shutdown. I knew about the discovery mode and figured there were worse ways to keep my young daughter entertained than letting her run around a non-violent depiction of ancient Greece, riding horses, swimming and touring historical sites like the Parthenon, learning about history all the while. She became hooked on what she still calls the Greece Game and would spend loads of time just exploring, changing character skins and talking to characters to watch guided historical tours presented at a level that flew right over her head, but which she seemed to enjoy <laughs> nonetheless. When the free trial was up, my wife and I decided it was worth uh, springing for the full game at the deep discount they were offering, purely for the enjoyment my daughter was getting out of it. My daughter eventually realized that my play mode was more fully featured than hers. (laughs) She (laughs) She wanted to watch me find treasure and infiltrate bad guys' hideouts. I always switched off the game when she was around, unwilling to let her watch the violence. She was insistent, and one day I relented, vowing to play a G-rated version of the game for her benefit. (laughs) I tackled exploration and treasure hunting missions only, sneaking around and not killing anyone. Then I reached a stealth section and couldn't avoid fighting. So I put my sword away, choked the sentries out, (laughs) (laughs) then immediately invited them into my crew with a helping hand. See? They're okay. We're friends now. We're making friends. That was a slippery slope to punching them out and making friends, and everything was going fine until Elpenor stepped out of a cave unexpectedly where I didn't even know he'd been hiding and ran me through with a sword, scaring the crap out of my daughter over her protestations i shut the game off and told her she was playing discovery mode or nothing from now on assassin's creed odyssey fun for the whole family mm-hmm. um thank you for sharing that uh, blue weasel breath we'll be hearing again um from them later down the line let's talk about story and characters and let's start with the star of the show and also I'm just curious to find out which character people picked on this panel. Um, let's talk about Cassandra and Alexios. Jay, do you want to start us
2: off? Yeah, here? there's only one choice in the game. It, you know, by all accounts it is the choice they originally wanted. I never I've never considered playing as Alexios. I think Melisanthi Mahuts' performance in this is just better. So within the story you see both characters. So you've got this you've got two well, they're not twins, are they? They're brother and sister. And depending on which character you choose, the other one plays essentially at the start, the villain. And I I I have no idea whether Michael um Antonakis is a is a good actor. I would say otherwise based on his performance in this game. Because <laughs> I think it's almost comically bad at times. Yeah.
4: Even as you mean even as Demos.
2: Well, even as yeah, and that's and oh, either way, yeah. I mean, so I'm eye rolling
4: whenever he's on. I it, but, when you when you see any footage on YouTube of uh, Alexios yeah, in the main yeah. role, it's like putting on someone else's shoes. It just yeah. feels totally yeah. wrong because Cassandra is so all con- you know she's so perfect. She fits so yeah. perfect in the lead role. And she just feels like your your own. There was never any
2: choice, as far as I'm concerned. the The problem I had with Alexios, he's like every other video game protagonist you've played. He's, you know, he's got the the manly stubble. He's, you know, he's, he's got a heart of gold, but he can murder a dozen people at once. It's just garbage. Like it, the 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 one. You know, you want to play something that it has an impact. And and to play as Cassandra, it just it just felt like a breath of fresh air a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. The the character that Cassandra reminds me the most of is Ezio in Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood. And what I and the reason and it's funny because Alexios and Cassandra actually share a lot of the same dialogue. So on paper, they are essentially the same character, but It's all about execution, right? And Cassandra's just very easy charisma. um, Just like she has that thing that Gillian Anderson has whenever she's in films or TV, where she's not in a rush to do anything. Like she's in control of the whole situation, and she'll finish this sentence when she damn well pleases, and not a moment, you know, not a moment sooner. And she's charming to the people that she likes. She's assertive to the people that she doesn't like. And it was that energy, that that charisma and energy that had been missing for me from so many Assassin's Creed games after Ezio left the series. Mm. Um, and just to have that that romantic lead, and I use romantic in the the the, the old way of using that word, um, like that that kind of high romance character in here it was just it was such a breath of fresh air and you know i by all accounts um bayek in origins is also a great character so i don't want to i don't want to uh, give you know give that character a disservice um i haven't played enough of that game but um of the games that i have completed since you know black flag um, and and what little I've played of you know free and 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 uh, syndicate, like Cassandra's just hands down my favourite Assassin's Creed ca- uh, character since
2: Ezio. Going into the other characters, I, I feel playing as Cassandra as well, it, it adds a, a different dynamic to the relationships with Phoebe and Marcus at the very start of the game. Like you imagine that playing as Cassandra, Phoebe Caesar as the kind of the role model, but slash older sister, but it just felt better to play as the female character
3: no it makes sense completely
2: i i agree
1: i think I think part of it is that um in video games we're really um at this point in time we're really we really become saturated with the the older male younger female character dynamic mm. that's just present in quite a few titles it was nice to have like a little sister, big sister dynamic going on with Cassandra and Phoebe. Um, And yeah. And and that's the thing that struck me was it it felt more like a sibling relationship than a mother daughter relationship. Yeah. um, Because they were both kind of, you know, they're like Cassandra's willing to be boisterous, right? She's willing to push against authority. She's willing to chance her arm. So she's not exactly a role model in the traditional sense for Phoebe, but there's that kind of experience of the older sibling. look, I've been around the block i've i I know where the dangerous corners are come on phoebe let's let's not play around here and i yeah, I just really like that chemistry,
4: and it pays off a little bit later in Hades, much much later in the d l c there's a little glint in in uh, Cassandra's eye, you know. Maybe a little tearing up a bit when when Phoebe can't remember her and she's all confused in the in the world of the dead. And there's some actual kind of I don't know what they're using. It feels like for quite a lot of the cutscenes, there's like procedural animations because characters will just sort of wave their arms about randomly yeah, yeah. during the uh, yeah. you know. And if you've yeah. played a Naughty Dog game lately, the the difference between the two is is really stark. But but there's you know. Thousands of lines of dialogue dialogue in this game, but I think that relationship specifically between Cassandra and Phoebe has a really nice payoff, much much further down the line. You know, a hundred hours later or whatever it is. Going
2: into the villainy uh, stuff within the game, the overall the voice acting with the main character, the main cast is probably more hit than miss with the ex- with the exception of a handful. But uh, there's definitely yeah. sort of side characters where the voice acting is is quite bad. <laughs> well, uh, like I say bad, I just mean it sounds like a, a voice actor doing a voice actor performance. You know, it, it feels like a throwback. There's a real dip in the quality of some of the, the voice acting going on in the game for the more secondary yeah. characters. One yeah. person who really stood out to me as an ex, like I really enjoyed his performance. And I cannot, f- I have searched for about half an hour today trying to search f- who who the actor was. I cannot find their names because they do this annoying thing with the credits. And I should just point out a slight tangent. The credits of this game are like 31 minutes long. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like, I had to sit through this till I got to the uh, the voice acting part. And only the main cast are named. And then there's this great big block of names for a lot of the voice actors, which I, I was so annoyed by it because whoever played el Pino, uh, forgive yeah, i forgive me if i've missed Penaza, but he, he, his performance in that is so good like yeah it, it's fresh in my memory because i've recently just gone through on new game plus but it was like i really dug his performance there's something really sinister about his calmness and his kind of really mm. it, it, it's not even it's not like monotone but there's a real sort of like yeah. placidness about his performance which makes it so much more threatening and yeah. so much more kind of you know that he's the bad guy, you know, and it's just so good. And there's a lot of that, like when you like the actor Daniel Matmore who plays Socrates. I absolutely adore his performance in this. Like, I, I I've watched the cutscenes on YouTube where it's just a collection of all the scenes with him and and Cassandra, and I just love that stuff. And although some of the dialogue, as Tom was saying earlier, where some of the dialogue is terrible, <laughs> those scenes with him. Are absolutely, to my mind, so good. Like they're so yeah. well written because they're in, they're using all Socrates' own philosophical stuff in and, and, and entwining it within the conversation. Yeah, and it's
4: so. It, I, I felt it was so cleverly done and well performed. And the great thing about that is, um, you know, it, it, in. teaching of history or you say the name socrates people might think of like a gray bearded old man being philosophical but of course Mm. here we've got a kind of fat you know jolly young man um in the in the in the squares and challenging people and questioning people and kind of just being part of the lifeblood of the city and that that's a really nice Way to do it, really, and to to kind of build up this sense of ancient of Greek culture, not just ancient Greek culture, but just the contemporary culture of the day.
1: Yeah, and th- and there's that that real sense of like the lead thinkers were going to be pushing against the the edges of what you know, not what of what was acceptable, but against norms, right? So Socrates, being who he was, it wasn't going to be like a boring. Kind of, you know, passive individual would he? Like, you look at the things that he wrote and what he said. Like, he would be a little bit more challenging and a little bit not like aggressive, but certainly would would rub people up the wrong way. Like that feels, whether it's historically accurate or not, it feels like a good decision based on what we what we know about the the
4: individual. Yeah, it's it's true to um, the spirit and it's part of what yeah. Pericles is the father of democracy part of what he did in Athens was encourage a sense of um you know artists and philosophers and scientific discovery that was you know all game in Athens and actually we really don't know much about Sparta because they didn't have a culture of essentially of writing things down and mm. so Sparta is all kind of second-hand third-hand accounts from Athenians basically writing down what they thought of Sparta but of course that's not so, so it's natural that the portrayal of Athens here would feel richer and more fun, and have more colour yeah. to it, more artists and playwrights and musicians, and and that kind of thing. And Sparta feel a bit more, dare I say, Spartan, but also generally just a bit less interesting uh, historically speaking. Yeah,
1: and and part like part of Sparta is that like as you say, because we're all you know hearing all of this stuff secondhand, I think like and and there is some modern media that's responsible for this as well there's like a mythology around um sparta that you have to unpick before before you get to get to anything close to reality like there's this whole kind of building up of the spartan soldier as like the ultimate warrior when, in reality, the reason why they were ultimate warriors is because very few city states had professional armies like that's the reason why they were so good it's because, like most other cultures had peasant armies or slave armies they weren't like super soldiers; they were just soldiers um and yeah and i and I agree with you, I think it would have been nice if they if if Sparta had this this level of texture. And this level of personality, and there was some kind of cre- you know, creative decisions to add color and and fill in the gaps a little bit without kind of leaning fully into the the false mythology of Sparta. Um, but, yeah, but yeah. That,
2: leaning into the false mythology stuff that that that's kind of what all these games have done in the past anyway. I feel true. Like they use yeah. movies as a reference touch point. Any. Anyway. You know, like, the game literally starts at, you know, the Battle of Thermopylae, and yes. it's like you're playing Leonidas. Like, that's how the game begins, because what we haven't explained, really, is the, the overall story. Whether you play as Cassandra or Alexios, you are the grandchild of Leonidas, and you carry his spear, which is not necessarily his, but it, it's been passed down from the Isu, who are the kind of the science fiction...
4: Precursor race,
2: yeah, but they've they the, the, the Isu have been around in in well, r- really, I think they got name checked initially in what Assassin's Creed Two, and then they've yeah. just always kind of felt like running in the background to a certain degree. But anyway, you 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 know, playing into that whole kind of the familiarity an audience will have straight away with with the three hundred, and it obviously yeah. even things like the Spartan kick and all that, it, it's straight out of the movie. You know, it's well, it's straight yeah. out of the comic book, I should say, because it's actually in the the original Frank Miller three hundred rather than the the film. But but immediately people are going to click as to where that's from.
1: Yeah, I think what I mean is like they 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 do draw on those cultural touchstones. Mm-hmm. Um, and but like the Battle of Thermopylae is not um, is not depicted in the kind of cartoonish unreality that um you know in the comic yeah. in the movie that it's yeah. depicted as and and I think that's commendable right like you know you know people are familiar with this mm. but let's kind of give them something uh, something closer to reality they were wearing armor on their chests like they're, they're not they're not going into battle <laughs> bare-chested all of that stuff like um but I, I, what I, what I mean is like in trying to do like hint at that stuff, but then also kind of trying to have their cake and eat it and mm-hmm. not, and not, um, go overindulge. There's, there's a dearth of pe- personality left because, because they, I, I don't know what it is. Like part of me think feels like they were worried about Sparta, maybe because they know it's like, it's the the culture that people are possibly most familiar with, or what have you. They didn't want to play with it too much, but like I I would have liked to have seen some creative license used in the same way that they did with Athens. But hey ho, some other like uh, historical figures that I wanted to to touch on. I really like the inclusion of Herodotus in this. Mm-hmm. As um, the historian figure, kind of documenting everything, um, I like. Um, uh, forgive me, I I haven't f- found the voice actor for this uh, for this character either. But um, that I think the vocal performance for Herodotus is really calming. Um, it feels like a a, t- a a teacher reading you a story or a parent like reading you a bedtime story. So it's just calming very deliberate focused voice that i really really appreciate like i really like um and then um the kind of another character i really like who's the polar opposite is Barnab- barnabas mm. who uh who's the captain yeah. of your ship the uh the adrestia um uh i one of like one of my favorite intros to a character as well that whole sequence with the cycle the leader of the gang cyclops um uh trying to trying to drown barnabas and and your little back and forth um uh with with cyclops is really really funny um but then his energy i just really like um that kind of they just do a good job of surrounding you with, like, characters with different yeah. different levels of energy and, and different kind of uh, chemical reactions yeah. going on on the ship. Like, just having that high energy, low energy, all of that stuff, it
2: really works mm. for me. I really, really liked the interactions with um, Barnabas, because it was this whole Same. thing where he's kind of in awe of the gods and always referencing the gods and praying to the gods and stuff. And then you've got Cassandra, who's kind of like... Puh can't be doing with any of that stuff but it's just like you know and and uh, you know he's he's full of the stories as well you know the myths and the legends and and so on and he's kind of full of the hyperbole a lot of the time but it's like it made his character it really felt like a proper character rather than just like you know he's the captain of the ship go speak to him when you want a mission
3: for me he was the standout character in the game like he we've had characters that have filled that role in other games, right? So um even something like God of War had a similar character. Yeah. Um that that adds that sense of levity, but also grounding. So he's like the grounding figure for for Cassandra in the game that he's clearly a little bit in awe of her and he, he owes a lot to her, but he's also been there, seen it, done it. And he, you know, he's got all these experiences. He's really knowledgeable of, as you say, the gods and the legends. Um And he just brings it all together and tells these stories as you sail up to random islands. He might come out with like a little bit of history about that island or um, a a story of a character or something that he's heard. And I I just thought that that was a really good way to ground you um, and also allow that sense of um,
4: vocal interaction whilst sailing around the seas in the dlc i really liked the the gods um poseidon and and hades and who's who's the elysium lady per, 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 persephone. persephone 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 um those were all pretty solid actually and carried me through the storylines in those um especially i think hades was nice and oily and he had this brilliant design that made him look like uh dracula in his armor from um, Francis Coppola's Dracula movie. That was quite cool. So, we need to
2: kind of cuz we're we're touching upon the characters, but there's no sense of what the story is. What yeah, brought, so yeah. I
1: mean basically um you you you're set on a journey to find your mother. Um at first you encounter your dad and um you're set on a quest to find your mother and then slowly unravel the conspiracy. Um, that the cult of the cosmos is um slowly kind of trying to dismantle the the city states across Greece um and also that they 've kind of basically ensnared your brother um and kind of convinced him that he 's this messiah like figure demos so it, like your journey through the game is you know first and foremost let 's try and reunite my family and try and rescue my my brother from this cult and then also dismantle the power structure that is the the cult cult of the cosmos and then ultimately discovering your true heritage and the and you know spoilers it turns out you're essentially a demigod right you're you have isu blood and isu are the closest you have in this reality to actual greek gods but um I wasn't really invested in the macro plot of this game if I'm being totally honest no. and and Jay you were talking about you know we're just talking about these characters we're not talking about the main thrust of the plot I think that's why <laughs> like I think I mean like honestly it's the smaller stuff and the smaller miniature episodic stories that really end up you know being memorable but the kind of grander plot of the Cult of the Cosmos and Deimos and your family drama. Like, I love Cassandra, but I don't care about her family. Like, I, I'm i just here for her adventures in Greece and not, and not the family drama, really.
2: I wouldn't say that I had a problem with it. I kind of enjoyed it overall. I found that everything... There's a problem, where I feel, with some of these things where they don't necessarily feel... Connected to the mission, the overall yeah. picture, uh, the family stuff did because a lot of the time you are trying, they're trying. You know, the Cult of Cosmos basically want you to. They want your family dead, and so they want to because they've got Demos. Demos is their weapon. They don't want anything to get in the way, and the the issue for them is surviving. Family members might be a problem for him, so they want. You know, initially they task you. Whichever character you're playing to kill Nikolaus, who is the Wolf of Sparta, who is your stepfather, and that then in, in, it initiates the whole flashback with your um, to what happened to drive you away. I didn't have a problem with all this stuff. I actually felt that it was it was connected to the main, like all that stuff worked. I mean, I, I don't know what everybody did. I managed to save everybody in, in my, my initial playthrough. It was like. I had, and I had this cutscene where it's the family dinner, everybody sat down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> together and stuff. It was, i but I like that, you know. It was kind of nice because I, 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 you know, early on, I'm thinking, you know, somebody's going to die here. Where I had more of an issue, and I won't go into it in too much detail at the moment because it's the DLC. But I feel the DLC, the at least uh, legacy of the first Blade DLC, is where I feel it just literally trips over itself and falls flat on its face.
4: What What is the thing that pe- people were complaining about is that. That if they were playing as as either a, a, a gay or bisexual well, character, yeah, that's not that, that
2: wasn't my issue. My issue is that I just didn't connect with that character, and we're, we're gonna dip into If now nah, we, we well, might,
1: we might as well because we're talking about story, so okay. you might as well dip into it now. So,
2: in the first section of DLC, whichever choices you made, um, and there was a controversy at the time because if you'd played it as a, as a gay character. Um, it basically ignored your choices and you had a family. You have a child with either a male or female um, NPC. The problem I had was that I had no, there was very little in the way of uh, a, a, a sense of a relationship between the two characters. Like yeah. it just didn't feel like this, The, the there was no chemistry there between, yeah. you know, and, and that's where I just felt like, why are we going down this road? This is not like, and it just felt at odds with everything. It, it's 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 stuff like that which makes me say I I enjoy
1: the kind of smaller set pieces. Mm. I think where this game is weak in terms of writing is creating those kind of deeper, like more meaningful connections mm-hmm. between characters. Yeah. Um. One of the, like, and you know, this I definitely think this game. Owes a lot to The Witcher 3 so I don't feel mm. uh, negative making this comparison but like one of the reasons why I love that game so much is like there is a sense of weight and history to the relationship between Yennefer and Geralt yeah. that is just palpable like you can feel it emanating off the screen and I don't think really apart from apart from Phoebe mm. I don't really feel that Cassandra has that relationship with anyone, um, and what I'm engaged with though is the kind of smaller political dramas, the the you know the 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 plague you know um, yeah. in Athens and and that the, those kind of set pieces, the the Olympic Games is just mm. like a funny yeah. situation with Testicles being eaten by sharks, <laughs> like it's really funny. Um, all of that stuff is what sticks in my memory, um, but there's not that. There's not that and, and and I agree with you Jay I don't think it's bad right I don't no. think it's terrible but it's it's missing that kind of deeper core emotional attachment I think with some some aspects that I'm it looking is for.
2: Yeah I think there's definitely some aspects where it did have that and I feel that when you play the Fate of Atlantis DLC so in the first part when you're in Elysium you get to meet your grandfather and you have a conversation with Leonidas and I loved that stuff and it had more of an impact when you get to um, the underworld mm. with uh, with the Hades stuff where you meet um, Phoebe and your kind of pseudo love interest. Oh, what was his name? The um, Spartan warrior. I can't even remember now. I've literally just played it. Re-atted us or something, isn't it? It's, yeah. Um, um,
4: heroic, burly looking bloke.
2: Like slight aside, best intro cut scene in the game, period. <laughs> like... <laughs> that whole sequence in the, burn, in the barn where you kind of double team a whole bunch of, like, enemies. And it's just uh, mainly because the, the, the fight choreography is excellent mm. in that sequence. And it's, just, it's pure cutscene, no gameplay. But um, I, I just think it was a great intro for that character. Um, mm. But it was like it, there's almost a, a kind of a relationship that builds between them, and then you help them in the underworld and and that stuff I felt was quite impactful when I was playing through mainly because I did like the characters so I felt that kind of connection and the scene where Phoebe's killed in in the sort of the the main campaign is quite like yeah oof, you know and you really do want to go like full on murderous yeah. intent with the guys who've done it but
1: yeah I think I think like it's a good shout with the the Phoebe moment I think like that that was the scene that hit me, yeah, like I felt I felt that one. I think I just wanted more of that, not necessarily characters dying, I should say, no no, but, but like but, more but... more like moments where I felt like you know I yeah, uh, like feeling the feeling of a palpable relationship either being broken or sewn together yeah. or anything like that, so let's let's start talking about gameplay first of all, like uh I know this game is carrying over a lot of mechanics from Origins this is kind of the even though I'd played Origins uh previously this is like my full introduction to yeah. them um and there are kind of there are things that I love and there are things that I really don't love about some of the changes from old creed to new creed thing that I love I really love the open ended level design and the bases and all of that stuff. Um, I think letting you have that freedom to kind of, and even in story missions, right? It's not just like the the open world, but in story missions, they do this too. Letting you have the freedom to approach missions in any way you want. Um, and, and, and in my case, that's just like ultra, ultra ninja stealth, like take out everyone without anyone noticing I'm there. Um, I, I love that. And I love the the new approach to level design thing that i don't like i've got a headshot with my bow and arrow and because the character is two levels higher than me it's not an instant kill it's it's just going to chip off a third of their health i especially as a stealth character i really didn't like that i yeah. and and i you know don't get me wrong i i appreciate that the the blade um, the, not the blade, the spear. Um, pretty much, even like towards the latter part of the game, as long as you're using that charge, uh, charge stealth attack, is an instant kill for most for most enemies. And pretty much the like the only enemies it's not is like the toughest person in the base. So that I'm totally fine with. But I ended up like I used the bow and arrow a lot at the beginning of the game. And then I just stopped using it towards the end because sure. it just didn't guarantee kills in a way that I would want it to.
3: It would just alert things more than actually... So, it, yeah, you're right. It, it, the, the bow and arrow became something that wasn't a stealth weapon. And in fact, if you're trying to play that way and it didn't instant kill, which often it didn't at the end of the game, it just alerted well, people to all I'm going to say presence. to
2: that is you've got the wrong bow. Because <laughs> mine does. <laughs> However it was a case of that the spear was still more powerful. So I would still choose to hide in a bush and then stab them in the back because not only did yeah. I kill them, if you're playing it stealth, that thing, when it's fully maxed up at I think level five or whatever, it will, the, the people disintegrate when they're killed. So there's no yeah. evidence as well because that's, that's something I love about the stealth games where you have to hide the bodies too. Like if you leave a body lying around, it alerts everybody because they see it and react to it. I love that stuff. I think there's too many games that kind of ignore that kind of obvious thing, but this doesn't. And I loved it when you go going in early, especially early on in the game, you're going into a, a fortress or a camp, you know, and it was like, stab this guy, hide his body in a the bush, then wait for the next guy. And you've got to have patience <laughs> with that because it could take like 30 minutes to clear out a camp if there's a, like a dozen guards in there because you just... Time and everything mm. but oh god i can't get enough of this
4: i had um i had all of those problems and there's definitely it's not perfectly worked out especially if you've got the xp booster, if you paid for the xp booster which i mm-hmm. thought would save me time it probably did it left me over leveled most of the time but under leveled because i was spec'd for warrior basically it, it because i just loved the look of the armor but <laughs> i just could not get enough yeah. of this one armor set that just looked incredible i know you can change the later on you could change the The appearance but I had I kind of would do quite a lot of bow stuff and then wouldn't be able to do some guys with a bow a little bit of assassin stuff basically it always just ended up in a massive brock up fight which was the most fun in the end because with the overpower abilities and some of the rage um rage of the gods stuff I was just hammering abilities and just just smashing dudes and I just had tons of fun actually by the end so i could just start trying to do stealth um when i was really rushing at the end i actually had some of the most fun was completely sneaking into bases uh without needing anything except the one objective item i was there for and actually sneaking completely unseen was quite a lot of uh, quite a laugh but otherwise most of the time with a four it was kind of pick off a few guys and then you know what just <laughs> alert someone and just absolutely go for it and it's a lot of fun Uh, in uh, the Elysium uh, part of the Fate of Atlantis DLC, there's some really tough forts where they have these um, statues that come to life as soon as you're in an open fight. And they've got powers and there's like magic flying around and it's some really tricky fights. And it was just always much more fun to just get in a huge, like basically alert as many people as you can, get in the biggest fight you can, use all of your abilities and um, just see if you can smash your way through it. I mean, yeah.
2: that's probably one of the bigger departures in terms of overall game is you've got these kind of big epic battle fights where there's like, yeah. you know, 100 people all scrapping around and you just wade into this. And you're, you've yeah. obviously picked a side and it's, it's just ticking down the, the life bar at the top. It's, just kill as many of the opposing team as you can in the, you know, before you lose. Um, and that's kind of awesome because it is this thing, Although even though I love playing as stealth, with those, you just completely—it's like you go buck wild with that oh, stuff. It, Yeah, yeah, the ops away! Yeah, and it's just, yeah. I,
3: I never thought you could lose those, and then I, lo- I did oh, yeah. actually lose yeah, one. Yeah. That I was—I was trying my best, and I lost it by like a hair's breadth. And I was so—I <laughs> was like, I was—I was so angry because I think some of them give you like little rewards, don't they? Depending yeah. on which side you fight on, you get better rewards. Yeah. But um, regarding obviously the weapons and and, and stuff and. I fell into a trap of something that we did talk about on the Origin show as a real positive, and that's when you get something that you really like, you can continue to level it up um, in towns. And the reason my bow and arrow stayed the way that it was was it was one of those that automatically set on fire with every arrow. Mm -hmm. Um, So actually doing the missions where you have to burn boxes, uh, it made that really easier rather than having to get near it and and use your torch, for example.
1: I'm going to read this um, uh, message from the forum, from the emailer. Odyssey is a beautiful game with many interesting systems, but exploration of the expansive world is restricted with strict level gating. For those players with lots of spare time or a J-type personality, (laughs) I can imagine (laughs) the slow, methodical progress would be great. I, however, don't have that amount of time. So 15, 20 hours into the game, I have enjoyment mixed with frustration. Cassandra is great, though. Protagonist in the series can be po-faced, but she bucks the trend. Yeah, so just kind of re- reiterating what we were mentioning before about level gating. Um we we talked a lot about the um kind of familiar um mechanics of uh, of odyssey that have been taken from origins but there are some things about um origins and we started kind of veering in that direction that are um you know new and are different and i think one of the standouts for me is cassandra's superhuman uh she's not just a, a assassin person she she's a demigod and uh and there are several abilities that you unlock during the game that kind of you know ever more entrench her in the space of superhero rather than slick spy assassin um you know carl mentioned the infinite fall previously later on you get the ability to teleport using your spear um, you get unlock invisibility. <laughs> you can set fire to your swords. In the DLC, you can su- summon a spirit sphere and your eyes glow and you just stab pe- and you can explode. Fi- you can summon animals to your aid. You can, you can do all these magical things. Um, some of these things, like, feel a little bit um, – we mentioned The Witcher 3 a lot, but I think another inspiration for this – for this game is the uh, Shadow of Mordor. And I couldn't help but notice some of the abilities that you unlock uh, struck me as a tad similar, um, especially that teleport ability, um, which feels very similar to an ability in Shadow of Mordor, um, uh, just struck me as very similar to that game. But, um, yeah, it gives the lead, the lead, Cassandra, this feeling of sturdiness and... And, uh, yeah, that that kind of Wonder Woman quality that Tom's been talking
4: about. Just when I I lent way too heavily on the overpower ability, so just like hammering R1 and R2, doing this insane flurry, and there's so many iframes during that animation, I was using it so often during fights that I really did feel just, you know, basically untouchable.
2: It might be disconcerting if somebody is listening to this who hasn't played the game to suddenly start uh, who is maybe familiar with Assassin's Creed games start hearing of the ability to teleport and invisibility and stuff that can sound really disconcerting but the thing is what i enjoyed here is is that it didn't it didn't pull me out of the game at all it made sense within the fiction stuff so when you say she's a demigod what you find out again in the DLC which is that the Isu, this precursor race, who were basically way more scientifically advanced than we are, they've experimented with humans by mixing human and Isu DNA, which is why the assassins have the ability to kind of communicate with animals like eagles and stuff like that. And it kind of, and this is what I, this is why I, I mentioned it. To, I think I mentioned it on the Slack a few times that I feel the DLC is quite important if you're into the Assassin's Creed um, narrative because it it kind of just these things have been teased and teased and teased throughout the series and not made any sense and what they've it feels they've tried to do at least with this one is just kind of clarify it and just lay it out so you have these abilities and the, the you know the assassins have the ability to do all that kind of crazy stuff that they do in the games because they carry this precursor DNA and I kind of liked the fact that it, it made sense within the fiction. And so it did not pull me out, even though I can teleport and stuff because it's kind of explained that you're using their artifacts, which are the things that have been throughout the Assassin's Creed games, the, the Apple of Eden and all that kind of stuff. Mm.
4: And you have a magic Eagle that's indestructible that can see things underground a mile away. Well, he's, a, he's a
2: Isu creation as well, isn't he? Oh, Pythagoras or Pythagoras, Explains that he basically sent, he created him in order to basically guide you and help you. So he's like, who knows what he is? I don't know if he's a droid or something, but it's like A
4: <laughs> drone, eagle drone. Yeah. Some of
1: the the ways in which this kind of Isu godlike uh, in in, in has, um abilities kind of manifest um, is the way that Cassandra is animated, and I love, even though I mainly played stealth whenever i went into combat i just love uh cassandra's kind of finishing moves and uh ability you know animations attached to her ability one animation i particularly like just because it looks so it just looks so badass is when she does the kind of shield like removal ability where she just grabs the top of the person's shield, rips it out of their hand and like chucks the shield away. Um, And that's something like I, I wish because as you level that up, it gets more and more superhuman to the point where she just, like, punches it and it just disintegrates. <laughs> and yeah. um, I kind of, I wish they just kept that original animation for that ability <laughs> because it just looked more dynamic and yeah. and badass. Um, but, like, yeah, the Spartan kick, obviously, all of that stuff. And, and Tom was um, talking about the kind of, um supercharged ability it goes on for ages that animation but it just looks so cool that i don't mind that i can put down the controller for a little bit and just watch cassandra just tear tear the living bejesus out of somebody cool i'm gonna read this um this post from uh, dr Raphael. the biggest surprise for me was how much i enjoyed the core gameplay loop of clearing out bases I never truly mastered it. I always started stealthy but rarely ended that way. But that just made it more fun. I have very strong memories of being chased down by some mercenary target and ducking into the big Spartan camp in the Delphi region to shake him. It seemed a good time to assassinate him, not realising that he was also a Spartan. I was instantly aggroed by 30-plus Spartans and had no choice but to leg it. Five minutes and several kilometres later, and they are all still on me as I hide in a bush, as a gang of boars decide (laughs) they hate me and charge. It felt brilliantly absurd, that sense of things escalating quickly, and me having to do some panic parkour off a cliff or getting flustered, stabbing everyone that moves and bringing more enemies down on myself followed me throughout the Greek world. By the end, I was overlevelled with supernatural assassin powers and I could still get a whole town to chase me down because I had accidentally set fire to a fishwife. One of the ways in which you explore the big open world that you find yourself in is a vessel called the Idrestia. Um So naval combat is back and back properly. So yeah. I know um, Origins um, had its naval combat sections, um, but it wasn't quite to the level of Assassin's Creed 4 where it was a fully kind of integrated part of the open world. Um, here... You have, you have a ship that takes you to these um, archipelago-style islands, much like um, uh, Assassin's Creed 4. One thing I do like is that this ship has oars, um, and so the sweet, manu- you know, sweet drifts and maneuvers <laughs> that you make, I mean, they don't make sense, right? It's not realistic, but at least it's not like you command the wind in the same way that you do in Assassin's Creed 4. I do like that there's a little bit of verisimilitude uh, here. Um, but yeah, I I, I thought this is a welcome return of I, the naval yeah. combat.
2: I, I mean, 4 was one of my favourite Assassin's Creed, 3 and 4, because of the naval combat. But this, this kind of excelled. In some ways simplified the combat as well in terms of your kind of... Uh, you, you, the weapons that you have on board, because obviously you didn't have cannons and stuff at that point, so it was all kind of arrows and spears and flaming arrows and flaming spears and stuff <laughs> and a battering ram. But there's something, partly due to the audio, is like you've when you're attacking, you've got the drum and the yeah. kind of chanting. And when you kind of... So there's like a charge mode where you can press X and, and basically go into sprint mode as you're ramming a ship to do more damage. I love that the camera kind of pans in slowly, so it closes in and it creates this sort of sense of speed. You get the kind of hoo, hoo, hoo from the cr- sorry, my throat's going there, but um, you've got <laughs> this kind of the you know the chanting of the the crew as you're kind of just hammering the the oars and stuff. And then when you, I loved the ship combat in this game, yeah. and it looks and it then, looks
4: incredible, doesn't it? Just the graphics wise, yeah. lighting wise,
2: it, it's fascinating when you look at four because i played so four came in at the very beginning of this generation and when you're exploring the world there's loading sequences you dock there's a loading sequence as you dock so there's clear transitions between the world the the sea world to the island world and stuff and this is seamless like it's crazy like you you ram a ship and then you can just board it and there's no kind of cutscene loading in this stuff it's just straight in just jump from your ship onto theirs you know and it's just like off you go and it is incredible when you compare the two games all within the space of one generation I know that 4 essentially was also a PS3 game so it's it, it's probably been hampered by that level of tech but um, but it, it, it like when I'm playing this game I was completely sort of aghast at, at how proficient they've in, in the way that they've done this stuff in terms of the technical,
4: I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, just outside of combat on the boats, it can be a little bit boring getting from island to island on a long journey. But it's so yeah. spectacular watching the sun glint off the waves and seeing, you know, dolphins appearing. Yeah. And the fact that everything, if you stop in photo mode, you can you can take the camera under the sea and there's there's sea life and everything. You can just yeah. jump off the ship. And you're in the sea. Well, if you have the yeah, if you have the um, Poseidon's
2: trident you, as part of your gear set, yeah. you can breathe underwater, and that's where you can really see, uh, like that. That he, like you know, again with Black Flag, there was there wasn't any ability to do that other than in prescribed sequences when you were like deep, you had to go in the diving bell, and you only had a very small area. Whereas this is the entire ocean. Like you can jump off at any point and dive down to the sea floor. And there's quite often stuff to pick up. There's some kind of bigger treasure to find under there. You'll get shipwrecks and stuff. Sharks. Oh, yeah. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the all sharks. sharks. <laughs> there's something immensely satisfying about ramming a ship and then not picking, you know, not attacking it. If you don't uh, attack it, just ram it and cut it in half. Um, You see all the sharks swarming in the water, just like take, picking off the survivors. Uh, all that kind no. of stuff.
4: No, <laughs> <laughs> the the technical wizardry, just that being able to shift from boat combat to um, exploration between islands, to just jump off the ship and swim to the nearest nearest island or cave. I mean, that technical wizardry um, is something that I mean, got to be cut. For me, is cutting edge. Like, is the best of the best. You, you you're not going to get that anywhere else not even in necessarily a Red Dead Redemption 2 apart from maybe you could say with the trains you know getting on and off trains and the detail and all of that but just this the 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 element of freedom that the boats give you and the combat i found pretty fun you know nothing nothing to write home about necessarily but just just engaging and fun when it happened um but the the way that the boats expand the game kind of in your in your mind um, and technically how seamless that that all is is just incredible so um another new element um that odyssey threw in there is
1: the dialogue trees um now my position on this is that i really really like this edition and i can totally see someone saying a lot of this is the illusion of choice rather than actual choice mm. Um, I think they do some interesting stuff with player decisions in the d. l. c um to a limited capacity um but ultimately, a lot of this is more about flavor than the actual like content of the story um but I love this stuff i always i i would always rather have a sequence be a dial you know a gameplay dialogue sequence rather than just a cutscene. Um, I'm just always a bit more engaged and a bit more in, you know, I'm paying attention more when this, this is the case. Um, so I think this is a great addition. And alongside this, a presentation um, necessity of this is the close-ups on people's faces and the improved facial animation that comes with this. Um, I I like, like, really zooming in on Cassandra's face and the characters that she's talking to. Um, instead of the more kind of medium distance, that origins and uh, um, pretty much most of the original Assassin's Creed games did. I like the the kind of uh, the close-ups here. So um, there's a lot of equipment and armor and different weapons that you can equip um, Cassandra with. Um, you have a lot more control over the visual design of your character um uh to an ugly degree (laughs) in the early game um like when you're just starting out and expect because i know the glad there's a there's a new uh feature that's been added in patches since the game's release where you can glamour equipment uh, and make it look like whatever equipment that you've had previously um but early days where you're just kind of equipping whatever has the highest stats you can make cassandra look hideous um
0: but um i would say just
2: a uh, slight aside there don't underestimate yeah. how important that is to add the glamour to to be able to morph your equipment into another piece to look or resemble yeah. like they've just added this to um division two and it's like yeah. i'm all over it again because it's yeah. like awesome because yeah. you can get rid of the ugly bits of equipment that you have. You absolutely can't stand looking at
4: there's but no. i actually fell in love with a, a particular combo that i had for pretty much 90 percent of the game the main bit of it was this um this armor with a, a ram's head on the front like this gold thing and it had a bit of fur on one of the shoulders and i just the way it glints in the sun i must have taken 500 photo mode shots of this just the art like focusing on the armor in different lights and times of day um, and I, I even ended up painting one of my photo mode shots, like doing a, an iPad painting of it, because I just fell so in love with. I don't know if it's a realistic design or if it's just an art, you know, a fan, fantasy piece of armor that one of the uh, uh, artists made. But it's absolutely gorgeous, and um, the way the light plays over different pieces of armor um, is just quite incredible. I look at it, I just can't think how they do that is it they do the shaders on on a, an item so it catches the light in a different way but it's definitely something that you should spend some time on making cassandra look just fabulous while she's murdering dudes
1: yeah i i ended up and this this is always the case of me i I always go with the 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 outfit that they use in the marketing material that just ends up being my default uh, default um outfit and i I just genuinely like the look of like the red scarf kind of flinged over Cassandra's shoulder and the golden the golden armor the bronze armor i should say sorry um and um because it felt like like to me Cassandra was a pragmatist, so I liked that she had really functional like it was it was, you know it was pretty to a degree but it wasn't kind of showy um it felt like that's what a professional mercenary would wear um and just like the the red cloak just draped over her, her shoulder just like just in case like she needs to cover up when it's cold or if there's like like sand storm i probably the wrong area for that but like you know protector <laughs> from uh environmental hazards like it just felt like a really practical outfit and i i really i really like that um that look the one thing um i'm not a huge fan of with the equipment and this is hardly a sin of assassin's creed odyssey this is just kind of rife throughout AAA video games right now is the kind of micro stat adju- uh, adjustments for all of the equipment. I I much prefer the Dark Souls Bloodborne school of every weapon is a unique weapon. You can level up that weapon and you can make it more powerful, but when you discover a new weapon, it is fundamentally feels different and changes the way you play. And there's less of there's less of them overall. I really don't like this kind of ten thousand identical swords with slightly different shades of color, and it does two percent more damage. I it just having to sh- sift through my inventory and clear it out and sell stuff off, like. I'm I'm okay with inventory management up to a point. Like I love Resident Evil, so clearly I'm not anti inventory management, but that kind of like when it's like de- you know deciding between two weapons based on the minuscule numbers that we're talking about, it just gets a bit frustrating to me. Yeah,
4: there there's I spent a lot of time clearing out uh swords and pieces of armor and breaking them down and I did find that for a lot of the game, once I got a decent legendary sword that I was able to just stick pretty much till I hit the DLC and and I started to get a lot more stuff and everything. The level suddenly took off a lot. Um, But and the main thing was just kind of having a favorite sword, but wanting to upgrade it or, or stay upgraded. The economy is feels quite deliberately broken that the upgrades are super expensive you know in terms of materials and money so if you did have a favorite set from early in the game tough luck unless you've got the uh, money booster uh, you've bought the the money booster that's so kind of so disliked by people the xp and the money booster and i had the xp booster not the money booster um i could just about afford to keep my sword and maybe my bow upgraded but definitely not my favorite armor and stuff um so that was a bit of a pain i didn't enjoy overall weapons and armor in the game um and yeah like you say josh spending a lot of time just kind of sifting through stuff there was a sense
2: with the economy stuff if they weren't trying to sort of gently nudge you towards buying the microtransaction stuff with because you could buy chunks of cash you know like Seventy thousand gold or whatever the uh, me or whatever, but um, you know, and it felt like some like especially when you get to the high end, it's ridiculous how much you've got to spend to upgrade, and not just like it's not just like a gold thing, it's also like you've got to have like three thousand skins or something as well, and all this kind of stuff, and then it just feels like, you know, and then you can see all that stuff in the, in the you know, in the store. So it's mm, and
0: it's
4: it's different know. from Breath of the Wild, where it's like, oh, why have they got weapons breaking? Well, that's a design thing to make you use different weapons and appreciate them. Yeah. Or the Bloodborne thing, where every weapon is viable. But here, yeah. because those microtransactions are available, it just feels murky.
2: Yeah, uh, but I mean, the way I looked at it was that I would only swap. I get to a certain point. Like, you're swapping out very a lot at the beginning and early on in the game, probably for quite a while into the game, and then you're going to... Once you start getting the legendary gear, then you can kind of stick with that for the most part, and until you get something that is noticeably better, then a lot of the time it was just sticking with it. If it was doing the job, I wouldn't worry about it. It's when you can't kill stuff (laughs) because you're not doing enough damage, you know, which... Yeah, it it happened every once in a while, and that's kind of the game telling you at that point that I need to get some better gear or I need to upgrade this. But um, usually the enemies that were giving that hassle would drop better gear anyway. So, uh, like you said before, Tom, you, once you get to like the um uh, the latter Atlantis DLC, then you definitely start having to swap stuff out because that stuff's way more powerful. Mm.
1: But so I've got another post. Um, from Blue Weasel Breath that I want to read out. The difficulty of combat when you're going against a significant enemy and not over-leveled can be frustrating, as I'm not great at fighting in this game, but the leveling system does make sense from a game progression perspective. I'm happy overall with the side missions, although I was a bit disappointed that the well-integrated side quests I had heard so much about appeared alongside... Rather than having supplanted a seemingly infinite number of generic, constantly repopulating side quests with boilerplate dialogue and recurring procedurally generated NPCs, I tend to do all side quests in games like this, but when I realised the game was going to keep throwing an inexhaustible supply at me, they began to feel cheap, and I began letting many of them pass. I thought the kills looked hokey and oddly sanitary, until I realized that every time my daughter played the dis- played the Discovery Tour, it was defaulting the blood to off, <laughs> even in the main game. I sure fixed that w- one right away. Also, cheers to whichever subcommittee of the development team decided to use the same button for talk and assassinate. So many times, I resolved a mission peacefully, and then tried to talk to my erstwhile target... One more time, only to
4: impale him brutally. <laughs> well, that's a Red yeah. Dead Redemption Two thing, no. isn't it? Maybe something in twenty eighteen yeah. game design. Yeah, yeah. Lack of
2: buttons. We need more buttons. That's what we need. Yeah, the seventeen. That's the that next got. innovation. Yeah. Seventeen yeah. is enough. Innovation. We need twenty. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you yeah, there'll there'll be like six face buttons, like an arcade stick on the front of it, or something. Um. Cool. So we don't just have battles with regular um, rank-and-file soldiers. There are some mythical beasts dotted throughout the campaign, Uh, most notably Medusa, Cyclops, um, the Minotaur, and the Sphinx. There are more beasties in the uh, DLC, which we'll
4: get to. But how did we feel about these fights in the main campaign? Medusa's pretty true i found really tricky i think i had to cheese her yeah quite badly in the end but i don't really remember much of the other ones uh i'm sure they were spectacular though
2: yeah i i mean it, again ties into what i was saying earlier about how they're using so these are kind of isu experiments gone wrong <laughs> so they kind yeah. of explain why they're, they're these creatures which are light um but i, I you know, this this is the pure Ray Harryhausen stuff going on here. This is the Jason and the Argonauts moments, which I absolutely bloody loved. You know, it's like just yeah, why not? I, it would feel a disservice to have a sort of ancient Greek, um a, a game based in ancient Greece that didn't have this stuff in there. You know,
4: mm. and the the where the Medusa is set, those. That low car, that whole island, you yeah, know, the petrified is, forest, is is, is yeah. really striking looking. The atmosphere is is absolutely brilliant, and that actually carries over to the Fate of Atlantis DLC, where the environment artists get to you know set their imaginations free.
1: I I really hated the Medusa <laughs> fight, um, so the the Cyclops fight and the Minotaur fight. Um, I found pretty easy. I weirdly have like very little memory of the Sphinx encounter. Um, That's more of a puzzle know- one, isn't it? It's not a yeah. fight. It's like Gim- she gives you one. kind of riddles to yeah. right. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. So th- those two fights, the Cyclops and the mine, they were just kind of big brutes. And 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 once you got their pattern down, it was it was a pretty simple task of taking them out. Um, but Medusa was just incredibly frustrating. Just. Um, the amount of attacks that just kind of limit your ability to move around the environment and and getting close to her was just real risky, and she just... Drain like I don't know. Like maybe I wasn't leveled enough. I felt like I was the right level for it, but it felt like health was just dissipating really, really quickly in that fight. And it took me a number of tries, and I had to remind myself I was playing Assassin's Creed and not Sekiro at some <laughs> point because uh, uh, I was really, I was really struggling with that one. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, it's a weird one because I'd, I'd watched, I'd caught a playthrough. Before I started playing the game, I'd watched um, a clip of one of the streamers that I watch. He does a lot of let's plays, and I'd watched that particular fight, so it didn't feel like I had a trouble with it. But that may be because I'd already seen on how to get through it and what to do. Yeah, by somebody else showing it, so that's probably how I got through without a grief. But
1: um, so. Blue Weasel Breath um, touched on the quest types that are dotted throughout the game. Um, I have to be honest, I pretty much stuck to character-specific side quests, so stuff associated with Socrates and Banabos and, and, and the, the, you know the cast, and I didn't really do much of the other stuff. Um, unless people, like, online had specifically highlighted that they were worth doing. Um, but did anyone touch any of these kind of, like, time quests or um, bounties or contracts and stuff like that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Every every one of them. <laughs>
1: All oh, of them. Yeah. That.
2: Sorry, I forgot who I was talking to. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, like the first thing I'd do when I would get into a new village or a new town or, or city is like straight to the bounty posts, get all that side quest stuff done first before i then focus on the character ones. And then you usually had the character ones which were highlighted in white things, and then you had the yellow ones which were the main quest line. So it was always a priority sort of thing. Do the, do the bounties first, do the quest board stuff first, and then the character then the man Jay, do you
4: eat on and your that. plate do you eat your vegetables first and then a bit of your roasties and then save your meat till last
2: no i don't have weird foibles like that but it's just um this is how i find it when i'm playing games like this it's just a rhythm mm. i'll just do that stuff and then uh, you usually it's about upgrading as well like all starting with the lower tier stuff gets kind of the less interesting stuff out of the way, but it does save all the better stuff till the end part, which then keeps my interest, you know, because it's like, if I start with the good stuff first, the the sort of go and kill 13 goats up on the mountain is dull. Why should I have to do that? I've already progressed past the story point. So I feel like starting with the, the, you know, the easy ones first and moving up maintains an interest to keep me going.
4: They, They do try and do a couple of things, don't they, to make it slightly less map moppy than the earlier assassins creeds and you know the accusation of ubisoft games yeah. with just the map cupboard and stuff at least like with the witcher 3 this one you you activate some of those minor yeah. quests so you could just choose not to do that and then um it's possibly worth mentioning ex quote-unquote exploration mode which is basically where they just mm. don't put the icon on the map but in in every other way, tell you exactly where you it is. And with your magical eagle, it's very difficult to miss uh, most stuff. But it does... Those two steps, those two design steps, do make it feel a tiny bit less like you're just, you know, colouring in the map or clearing up the map.
0: Yeah.
2: I never felt either that it was like I was aimless. It always felt like I had a point to something I was going to do. Like, it was never... Like, I, I I don't know, you know, like sometimes you can hit a thing with, especially with open worlds, where you, you're, you're left sort of twiddling your thumbs as to where to go next or what to do next. It never felt like the, the game ever lets up in that sense. There's always something to head for, you know, even if you've mm. cleared out all those little missions, you then just do the main one. So it never yeah. felt like I was at a loss at any point. So we we should talk about the audio in the
1: game as well. Um, we mentioned that the um, composer of uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey was The Flight, um, a.k.a. Joe Henson and Alexis Smith. Um, I largely really like the music in this game, and they obviously bring in some familiar themes, like the Ezio's Et- family theme, which has ended up being like the theme of the series. But I, I really like the original music too. I have to say, the the music that plays when you level up sounds very similar to the music that plays when you level up in the Witcher free, like to like a like copyright infringement level degree. Um and like so like just some of the instrument palette as well, kind of um especially in the kind of first area of the Witcher, not less you know, much less so Skellige and and some of those other areas but in the early goings of the witcher 3 some of the instrument palette feels very similar in this game did any, anyone else like get that sense that feel a little bit deja vu occasionally? i think what,
4: what it is is that the flight um so in the witcher 3 they had a folk band called percival a polish folk band yeah. come in and the, there was still a, a main music director who would kind of direct them what to do and put it all together afterwards. And the flight that the duo from London, um, what they like to do is uh, uh, for this game as well, they work with a, a guy called Mike Georgiadis, uh, he's a guitarist, multi instrumentalist. There's a lot of proper Greek traditional instruments on there here, but also a lot of weird instruments that they find or build themselves. And that kind of sound, folky and authentic-ish, or, or that could have been from the time, but they're not really. Um, so there's that kind of uh, in both games that need to de- deliver something very blockbustery and orchestral, and you know, you've heard it before. It's big and it's exciting. And it's action packed, and then also give a a folky ethnic flavour um, to it. Um, which they, you know, is something that the flight love to do. They just love to get weird instruments and muck around and make fun sounds with it. And there's also a few nice um, uh, 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 instrumentalists in the game, like diegetic people on the streets playing, uh, playing music on, on lutes and things. And obviously the sea shanties are back. So overall, it's a really, you know, good, good music package overall. It really solidly does the job.
2: I think of all the of the re- I mean, the last couple of Assassin's Creed, I think, have really had really good overall soundtracks. But I think, but it's the um, it's the opening track when you're on the title screen, when you're on the sort of like um press start screen, the music that plays on that. I think it's for me, it's one of it's if not my favorite Assassin's Creed theme music that plays at that point in the game. I think it is a tall order because of of, of um. Origins one was really strong too, but this one, there's something about the bass line that kicks in, or kind of like this really that pulsating bass that that pipes up about sort
4: of 30 40 seconds in. It's awesome, love it. Very quick note on the audio. It's just really if you if you stop and if you're playing in front of a four year old and you don't want to stab anyone and you're just <laughs> or you're playing in the this discovery mode, you just walk through the streets and just stop and kind of breathe in. The audio is yeah. really quite good um snatches of dialogue in the background and you know hammers hitting anvils and that kind of thing it really Mm. does bed you in in the sound of the sea the sound of the boats there's just i mean there's as much high quality work going on across audio music as there is in graphics and lighting um and all the other aspects of the game it's just as ever it's it's you you potentially notice it less because it's so good yeah Yeah.
2: the when you look at the credits on this, the the audio stuff is fast. Like it's and it's multiple teams and multiple locations. There's a team in Greece as well, which you wonder if that's like a, what you were saying about all the kind of diegetic sort of background chatter that you can come across. You wonder if all that stuff was done. You know where it was done, who did it. It, it yeah, it's incredible.
1: So we should talk about the DLC. So the, the DLC for this game is substantial, and that's putting it lightly. Yeah. Um. So there were kind of two trilogies, is the best way I can mm. describe it, of DLC. Um. There was the first trilogy called The Legacy of the First Blade, which is divided up into three episodes. First one called The Hunted, and the second one called Shadow Heritage, and the third and final one, Bloodline. Um and then they did the fate of atlantis um uh which was divided into the fields of Elysium, torment of Hades, and judgment of Atlantis. the first one, the legacy of the first blade, I haven't played, um but my understanding is that this one is the grounded one mm-hmm. that's set in the um the map that we're that we're all familiar with yeah now who 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 amongst us has has had a chance to to play this and and can speak to this?
2: Yeah, so what I was saying earlier, I feel in terms of gameplay, um, probably Fate of Atlantis is the one that kind of mixes things up a bit. Legacy kind of sticks with pretty much what you've got already. It doesn't change anything. What it does is it kind of... It's what I alluded to earlier where it, it feels like they're kind of doing a kind of fresh take on the assassin stuff. So what this does is with Cassandra or in my game Cassandra having a child, this is this is the very beginnings of the assassins. You meet a yeah. guy, you meet um a guy called Natakus, Net- or in my game he was Nat I'm not sure what the name is if, uh, if it's a female um if you're playing Alexios, but you come across a person and then you come across you fight a guy called uh who you find out is called uh Darius but he is kind of an assa- he is an assassin and you feel that this is kind of them laying it out this is the very beginnings of what is to come so this is like although origin kind of set up the the creation of the assassin order this is kind of with Darius and and the The circumstances that kind of happen in this in this trilogy is that it's kind of showing how Cassandra's Isu DNA is is the thing that sort of it, how it gets out there and it, it, you know builds to the um, to what is the Assassin Order and there's a there's the most important part to this is it, what I feel for me was right at the very end of the third part. There's a sequence where. Because um, there's a new kind of The Order of the Ancients Is a new sort of cult That, that, that we're hunting you down Because they know what Cassandra is They also want the child um, They call them the Tainted Ones Because they carry this kind of Isu blood they don't, I don't think they're aware Of what the Isu are They just feel you're kind of an abomination Or if they yeah. Anyway so Darius takes the child And goes off and then there's a sequence where you see the child sort of walking down a pathway growing up and then it stops at aya so you realize as well that aya was the most important person in the origins in the in the sense of the origin story where she's the one carrying the dna not Bayek. so it was like yeah because that was something that was um, also alluded to with um when the revelations about Cassandra being the initial want for the creators to just have that one character, there was also a thing where Aya was initially the, the protagonist of uh, Origins, and then they changed that to Bayek. So it kind of adds credence to that stuff as well.
4: Just judging that, I mean, I did get a sense that whilst there was some, some okay acted and, and interesting scenes at, in the first part of Legacy of the First Blade, Compared to when you first see, I mean, and there's a there's an unbelievably bad setup for the fate of Atlantis. There's a couple of tiny quests which are awful, just terrible. There's this dungeon where you've got to move all these things around and an insta kill spike floor as Layla. And it's just, in, it's just, I had to do it like five times. I wanted to, I didn't even want to start the Atlantis DLC. But when you get to Elysium, and you see it, and it blows your eyes out of your skull because it's so beautiful. Any thought of going back, you know, with a three-minute load time to the main map to do the Legacy of the First Blade thing, I just forgot completely about it, and I just dove headfirst into Fate of Atlantis, which is itself 30 hours long. Um, so yeah. so it does kind of overshadow it for me.
2: I mean, we, we mentioned this on the Slack the other week, but I spent almost as long playing the DLC as I did on the base game, which... You know, it was 100 plus hours easily. I think most yeah. of that, more of that is spent on the of Atlantis DLC because there's just more to do because you've got three very distinctly different areas with each of the expansions. They kind of just go to a different place. And, yeah. it, and it, it, it's, it is way more arresting to, to play anyway. It's just like...
4: Yeah. But they're harder. There's There's harder oh, platforming yeah. <laughs> and puzzle yeah. stuff in Elysium. Yeah. um harder combat fights hades is a bit more if i remember correctly fighting focused um combat yeah. focused and then atlantis is j- just you've got to see it you've just got to get to that point in the dlc just to go up to the highest point at atlantis and just take a look at the city i've never seen anything like it in a game apart from maybe um insomniac's manhattan in spider-man but it is visually yeah. just off the chains. It's bonkers. The the yeah. angular architecture, the, um, the I remember when the PS4 was first announced, they had uh, Killzone Shadowfall, right? And yeah. and they are showing a, yeah. a cut scene where you're kind of hanging onto a rope and you see this whole city stretch out before you. And I thought, wow, that looks like next gen. And this is the first time, apart from maybe Spider-Man, where you just see a massive city but of course, it's all gameplay stuff. You can go everywhere in the mm. city, vertically and um, and down the bottom. So I'd say to anyone who was on the on the fence about DLC, probably if you, I mean, it's a lot of stuff to get through Elysium and Hades. There's a lot of gameplay there, but just to to be able to look around Atlantis is such a reward, yeah, yeah. a rich reward. The ending's yeah. not that good to the Atlantis storyline. I didn't think, uh, but but just to. Well, just to see yeah, it all, I, think, I thought, was, was reward enough. And I took another thousand photo mode shots just of that DLC. Yeah.
2: I think where I think it comes down with both sections. There, there is issues with the narrative with this stuff. With the first one, we've already talked about it where it's kind of like the relationship didn't click. So I kind of felt that it was pushed, forced upon me. But with the second one, it's, it's kind of when you get to the end, you're left scratching your head about this stuff because I'm, I'm left kind of like, hold on, was she in a simulation or was it real? Uh, <laughs> and who the hell are these guys turning? You know, and it, the whole Layla aspects of that stuff. I mean, the, that whole sequence throughout, throughout the entire game is, is baffling because I have no idea who these people are. Layla Hassan was in Origins. That I know because I played it. <laughs> who the hell is uh, Kiyoshi, Alana, Otso Berg? These characters come up and, and they act as if I should know this. And I'm like, what have I missed? Like, I've played every damn game. Where? What have I yeah. not been paying attention to here? Because I have no idea who these people are. And so there's a problem with the, the, the very end of the DLCs. I'm just kind of left a little baffled as to what happens next. With this character's story, because, uh, yeah. Yeah. if I, My biggest criticism, and, it, and it's the thing that actually was, and because it's tied in with the Leila Hassan stuff, is basically when Cassandra turns up, this was my biggest problem with the game. Because it was like, so there's a point at the end of the main campaign where she gives you the um, staff of Hermes, which is the thing that has kept... Your real father, who is Pythagoras or Pythagoras, um, he's kept him alive for all this time, like for yeah. I guess he's centuries old at the point where you find him. But Cassandra has this staff, and she stays alive for two and a half thousand years to actually come in a business oh, suit and that meet is so um, good <laughs> <laughs> um, and meet with um, Layla Hassan in the real in the world that you know in the present day. I had a huge problem with this because the moment she gives you the staff, she dies. And it was, and I felt like that was, it was, it felt at that point because I've spent like, I guess at that point, about a hundred and something hours playing the base campaign was that it's like hugely dis, disrespectful to the character. It's like, Oh, here you go. Here's the spear. See ya. But, oh, die. and I just, it, it, I, I hated it. And I hated the fact that it meant that she'd been alive through the entire franchise that Cassandra had been alive where every other Assassin's Creed game had taken place. So what that you know, and then I'm left with questions. I'm left with questions of like, what was she doing in this time? What she was hell? making that like, suit
4: and it is a snappy <laughs> suit. I mean, it is a proper jump the, jump yeah, the shark. What yeah. is going on? Why is she in a business suit kind of moment, I thought.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like I... I kind of felt like there'd been a, I don't know. I feel that that's my biggest issue with the, with the story stuff was just the kind of, Oh, Cassandra has been alive for, you know, all these centuries. And now we're just, now she's dead with no sense of what she'd been doing for the last two and a half thousand years. (laughs) I got really close to
1: finishing, um, fate of Atlantis, um, before my GPU incident. Um, I think it does suffer a little bit from the same problem of the main campaign in that it is a little bit too long for what's actually there um and I think Hades suffers from that mm. the most torment of Hades. I think it's the weakest of the the chapters, both in terms of gameplay content but also because Elysium's really beautiful. Atlantis is really beautiful. I think Hades actually looks pretty ugly um and I mean that in like
2: well, it's meant to be not odd- <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but I've seen, I've seen, like I've played Doom twenty sixteen, right? I've played, I've played versions of Hell that look horrifically beautiful. This just kind of looks like a reskin
4: with some Um, bog in it. it, But no, I don't know. It looks kind of metal. But you spend too, you are absolutely right. You just spend too long there. But some of the architecture, these huge gates, if you look up at them. I found some of the architecture in Hades to be really, really—I mean, all throughout the DLC—but just really impressive. Some of the scenescapes. It was a little bit disappointing that you're doing exactly the same stuff there, but um, I still think there was some visual flair there. But you're—you're you're right that you spend too long there, and it kind of grinds you down, as being in hell probably would. Yeah. True enough. Yeah, I feel that- <laughs> thematically appropriate
1: at
2: least. The story stuff feels more important with that with the underworld stuff. Yeah. Like the feels like there's 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 a lot of loose ends tied up with characters that were in the the main campaign. You know, Brassus yeah. and um, Phoebe and stuff. The, those were nice sequences. Which I feel with um, Elysium, there's none of that. There's a whole Isu kind of theme going on with that one in particular, where it's like where you get to meet. Juno and Aita and, and the characters that you've been aware of in previous Assassin's Creed games. Now you actually get to see what it is they've done and what they were doing and why they're, they're kind of the bad guys, if you will. So it, it, it's just overall the DLC I felt was was. Uh, just kind of clearing house with a lot of the kind of rumour mill stuff that had been teased in previous games and just kind of laying it out there where they go from there is kind of it could go either way to be honest I feel like I still I'm not entirely clear whether there's a point to the Layla Hassan stuff um, the same way as they never really felt like there was a point with Desmond Miles it always felt like a weird contrivance that you know all that kind of stuff it, yeah
1: it can just be an anthology series <laughs> just let it be an anthology series yeah. it's fine um anyway let's
4: move into um forum uh, contributions so chaos 9001 says i picked this game up on sale recently and started it directly after finishing the main campaign of ac origins The pros, in my opinion, are that this game took many of the systems that were introduced in Origins and expanded upon them, such as the mercenary system, and that I enjoyed the setting of Odyssey far more than Origins, far fewer snakes and far less sand. Uh, It's coarse, it's rough and it gets everywhere. Uh, I'm normally not the biggest fan of nautical segments of games, but I find myself much more keen to explore the world whilst my crew sings a sea sea shanty. Uh, the con in my mind is that Alexios is, in my opinion, not nearly as compelling or well-rounded as Bayak is from the last title.
1: Monster Mash says, AC Odyssey is by far my favourite AC game. Despite the story having the same sensibilities and acting as the carry-on <laughs> on film, um, the... <laughs> A bit mean, Um, but um, after the initial grating of the performances wore off, I found a massive, deep, and compelling game world to explore. It was as if the developers had played The Witcher 3, pressed copy and paste, but with an ancient Greek mythology skin in place. I found myself playing just to switch off, wander around the game world, completing side quests, taking to the seas to hunt pirates or sunken treasure, and occasionally move uh, the main story along. The amount of content in this game is beyond absurd. I really want
2: to see Sid James as Socrates, <laughs> and <Kenneth> Williams as <laughs> Alcatraz now.
4: Miles381 says, uh, I've been a fan of the Assassin's Creed game since AC3. Unlike a lot of people, I enjoyed the old format and it took me a little while to come around to this new RPG format, even though I enjoy RPGs. I hesitate at change, I guess, but I enjoyed AC Origins and was excited for Odyssey. I got the game a few months after release due to the close proximity with Red Dead Redemption 2, one of my all-time favourite games. I loved Odyssey. Cassandra was a fantastic protagonist who was funny, endearing and just a straight-up badass. The graphics were immaculate. The story pulled me in. The characters came to life. Due to work and two young children, I'm still working on the DLC to this day, but after 100 hours, I don't mind taking a little longer to get everything done and spend more time in this beautiful world. I'm also really looking forward to the educational tour as I'm a big history buff. The details in the world, from the statues to the everyday workings of the NPCs, are fantastic. Although I was not tired of the old format, this game, even more so than Origins, has rejuvenated my love for Assassin's Creed, and I'm eagerly anticipating their next release. Mont Blanc says, After hearing positive things about
1: Origins, I decided to go in on Odyssey when the setting was announced to be Ancient Greece, a place and time I find fascinating. Being free to explore the islands alone was enough for me to enjoy the title. But as I learned the game's mechanics, I was really impressed by the different layers of gameplay baked in. Combat, stealth, AI, climbing, movement, naval sections. None of it is particularly outstanding, but it's very technically competent, and I found it really enjoyable once I settled into a rhythm. I thought the characters and interactions were entertaining. Greece itself is gorgeous, sailing through the rolling waves with the crew singing away and the whales leaping left and right never failed to give me a sense of adventure. I was not an assassin, but a tourist. I filled my PS4 with screenshots, constantly stopping to get a screenshot of lightning illuminating a towering statue or of shimmering waves lapping up against an old pier where NPCs cast fishing lines. The grinding and bloat of the game and the relatively unengaging story never bothered me since I was having such fun on my ancient Greek island holiday. Thank you everyone who contributed to the forum. Um, if you want to contribute to future issues of canaan Rinz, head over to com slash forum. Cool. Let's hear from our uh Twitter followers. Um if you want to send us a free word review, um, just follow us on Twitter at Kanan Rinse. We send out a shout out on the day of recording. Look out for those and uh, send us your free words. Um, Jay, can you start us off, please? Mike Susky, plain white bread. Michael Wong gifts, uh, goofball Alexios, underrated. Sam, ridiculous, aimless
2: plot.
4: Hi-Eck,
2: too much content. Will Marley, compelling, beautiful, hollow. Good Man Darkness, just a lot. Christopher
4: Love. Testicles don't float. David Geezer, Big damn game. Mike. Big. Too big.
1: Headers says. Fun. DLC pants.
4: Carl Hickman. Beware bounty hunters. Twin Cherry Studio says. Stay nowhere long. Pat McConville. Gigantic
1: Greek grind. Joseph Raphael says content isn't
4: spartan side quest proofreading flammable greek lady strange andy cassandra only choice alex lachlan
1: cassandra is great fantastic thank you everyone who sent in their free word reviews um and it's just time now for us to give our summaries. And given um, that we have spent a long time in this recording, (laughs) I would ask that everyone is short and sweet. Let's start with Carl. Uh,
3: I was a huge fan of Assassin's Creed Origins, and the idea that we were seeing a new wave of Assassin's Creed was um, very, very exciting, uh, going from Egypt, which fascinates me, to Greece, which also fascinates me, was was fantastic news and I couldn't wait to jump in. Um, Whilst there was a lot in there that I absolutely really thoroughly enjoyed, namely the world itself, it just didn't strike me in the same way or with the same level of enjoyment, either with the story or the characters, that Origins did, and I I still have a feeling that even looking at the world, I find the world of Origins just a little bit more striking and graphically impactful to my tastes than that of Odyssey. Um, that said, the amount of content that's in the base game, let alone the DLC, and the variety of the things that you can do is is pretty vast, um, and the, the quality does shine through. Yes, I've been a bit critical throughout the podcast of certain things, Uh, it doesn't mean that Odyssey isn't a great game. There are other open-world games I prefer more, namely its predecessor, but I could absolutely recommend people pick up and play Odyssey for sure.
1: I really, really like this game, Um, and it's so good to kind of fall maybe not back in love but back in like um with uh, with a series um after feeling so distant from it for for so long um it does make me my appreciation of this game does make me want to go back to origins and give it a serious go um whenever i find the time for that um i think cassandra is such a charismatic and enjoyable protagonist and Part of why I, you know, went, you know, when at this game and, and committed to it is partly, you know, her because of her. She's just so compelling that I wanted to spend more time with her. Um, and yeah, I I don't think the game quite escapes the shadow of its inspirations. I think um, the shadow of of The Witcher Free looms large over this game. But ultimately, like I just, I the combat's great, the stealth is great, the naval combat is great, and the world is just uh, so beautiful and
4: so fun to explore that I highly recommend it. Uh, this, it's a combination, like Josh just said, of um, some of my favorite open world games, Far Cry Three, uh, The Witcher, and then there is, is, of course, the Shadow of the Shadow of Mordor. This incredibly Moorish, I kind of just was kept pouring hours into it, really. And I was surprised to realise this is probably my most played game other than like Final Fantasy 7 and Bloodborne, both of which I played more than once. And I've only played this through once and I spent hundreds of hours in it. And I don't really do that for many games at all. Um, so I must have enjoyed it quite a lot. But the main thing for me is just the the world. Photo mode... I took maybe over the course of this in the DLC, 2000 shots, which is like one every three minutes or something ridiculous in my playtime. Um, and like one of our commentators just said, I basically, I'm a tourist in kind of ancient Greece and ancient fantasy Greece. Um, and there's so much beautiful about this game. The statues, the flowers, the architecture, the lighting, the the day night cycle, Climbing to the top of a mountain and looking down into valleys is just spectacular. Um, Taking a shot of the boat sailing on the sea with the sun glinting off the sea. um, I think that's what just kept me going all the way through to the end of the Fates of Atlantis is just seeing what the artists are doing here um, is quite, quite incredible. The technical achievement, the artistic achievement, and then especially the kind of pseudo historical achievement of putting all this together and imagining what greece might have been like and the culture of it just quite incredible something to behold and and well recommended for anyone who either wants a fun open world game or is interested in you know the photo mode and the history tour and and that that other layer of things
2: um i'm editing this so i'll keep it really short (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know i spent five weeks 218 hours playing this game i it is without a doubt the the most played assassin's creed game i've played it's the one that i've loved the most i i I adore it i think it's fantastic technically gameplay wise it just sucked me in wouldn't let go if they would put more dlc i'd still be playing it i i simply stopped playing it because i ran out of things to do that's it. I, I would say highly recommend it. It can pick it up for as li- for under twenty quid now, and and that's probably the gold edition, which comes with everything. Also, don't play as Alexios ever. Just stick to <laughs> yeah. Cassandra. And I
1: think we can all agree on yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's it from us. Um, all that remains is for me um, to thank Jay, Carl, and Tom for joining me um, on this recording. Um, And thank you to all the correspondents and tweeters. And a double thank you to Editor Jay. Hello, Jay. Uh, You're going to have a lot of work on this one, aren't you? Um, So (laughs) uh, enjoy that. Um, And, of course, thank you all for listening. Um, Next time in issue 439... We trade in shiving for hugging when we cover a boy and his blob.